Welcome to another episode of Homegrown the Series. I'm your host, Emmanuel Davis. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with the media maven, Portia King. Portia, welcome to Homegrown the Series. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me, and congratulations on this being your 12th episode. So that's a whole year. Congrats. Mm, thank you so much. And thank you for the words of affirmation you, you gave me last year about the show. So. Yeah, just do it. Exactly. But before I get into what the media maven actually means, I want to talk to P. Curry real quick. All right, what's up? Little do people know you used to hoop. And not just hoop, you were balling. Yeah. Was basketball your first love? Yes. So growing up, my parents had us involved in every type of sport, activity, extracurriculars. So everything from dance to gymnastics. We played tennis growing up, swimming, softball, track and field. But basketball was the one that sort of stuck with us the most. Okay. Um, so, yeah, basketball was definitely very, very relevant and present in my upbringing from hooping in the backyard. We broke the backboard. My dad <laughs> built one out of wood. Wow. Um, in the meantime, we played on crates in the alley, playing over speed bumps, yep. all types of a really solid outside. Um, childhood with exactly exactly now I was trying to uh find out your jersey number and some stats on you because I knew that you used to like play you took it real seriously but also around that time I think this is when you made your transition and stopped playing I think you started playing sophomore junior year of high school yeah Mm -hmm. but also around that time good memory wow you took a trip to Africa and (laughs) that somewhat changed and blossom the person that we see right here. Can you speak on that trip to Africa and what it meant to you? Wow, okay, so yes, um, to transition the response um, there. So I was hooping all the way up, like year round, all the way up until my sophomore year of high school. And I got this amazing opportunity through the Rainbow Push Coalition, um, the youth chapter, to, which was in partnership with the organization called African Connections. And they sponsored um, a free complimentary two week trip to Ghana, Africa for five inner city youth in Chicago. So luckily I was a finalist and I was selected to be one of those five. And what happened? The, the trip would have been during the exact same time as the required training period for basketball. Mm-hmm. And it overlapped and I had to choose. So of course I chose a free complimentary trip to Ghana, Absolutely. but then also there were other things that went into it. Freshman year, I got injured. I pulled mm. like a muscle and behind my hip bone. <laughs> so I was out for the entire season. I didn't come back uh-huh. until post season and a little bit. So sophomore year playing just wasn't as fun anymore because mm. athletic injuries just change you a little bit. But um, junior year, I had to make that decision and went to Ghana and that certainly (laughs) certainly changed my perspective on everything um just it was my first time leaving the country which was kind of like a big trip to be your first Mm -hmm. time ever being like the farthest I've ever been away from home with my family with my pets and friends but um it was an amazing experience we traveled various cities across the country Mm -hmm. um we were in different city every other night it was a small group but we still had local um, citizens or leaders who were a part of our group exposing us to different things within their culture, leading very, very in-depth conversations. We watched all types of television, 
um, mm-hmm. films and talked about how Americans are, or America is perceived from the outside looking in. Yeah. So being able to step outside of this sort of fishbowl that we live in, where you're con- you're you're basically being consumed by the products you consume. So basically, you're purchasing things that are consuming your thoughts, that are consuming your like passive. Um, passive thoughts even so mm-hmm. how you perceive everything around you people around you it invokes certain stereotypes and from that trip I was able to see how the media just constructs our entire reality it constructs Correct. the economy it constructs um, your perspective and the way you see everyone and everything around you including yourself so when I realized and got my aha moment somewhere in rural Ghana um, that's when I fell in love with the media and realizing how powerful it really is and how it controls every single thing, no matter how big or small you think Correct. it might be in your life. It's funny you say that because when I hear different people who, when I hear African-Americans visit Ghana, visit Africa, they always say the same thing. Uh, Ryan Coogler, when he was on this press run with the Black Panther, he said they shot in Africa. I forgot which country they were shooting in. Which, but he said, I remember traveling with some of the villagers and an older woman was handing out watermelon because it's full of water. And when you're out in the fields all day, you need something to replenish you. And he said, well, back where I'm from, we get laughed at for eating watermelon. And then when he visit, visited the village, he saw all the young people on a porch and just on the block. And she said, that showed that your family was solid. That showed some kind of wealth, that some, some kind of presence. He said, in Oakland, we stand on the block all the time and we get harassed. So it's amazing how we share the same experiences. And once we go back to Africa, the stuff that we get talked about here is embraced. Mm-hmm. But you also came up with a quote and you said, I wanted to be able to tell the stories worth telling or shaping perspective from a true and authentic place versus being told what's what and creating what is. And mm-hmm. I think that was such a powerful quote because we don't control the story. They want to, and I'm, I'm going to talk about Chicago stuff real quick. That young child was killed by a police officer weeks prior to that when the footage was already released, before the footage was released. They showed police in Little Village somewhat. They were passing out food and saying, oh, these are good cops trying to somewhat block the blow that that they were about to receive. So it's just amazing how the media can warp Mm -hmm. your perspective of of our homes, of our Mm -hmm. neighborhoods, of certain figures and pillars and institutions. And was that the driving force while you went into PR in college? Um, so like the well, me- after college, I mean, oh, well, no, it's okay. But, um, like the media, like it's so much deeper than just mm-hmm. like the content that's created. It goes back to like, back when, like, as we look at the progression of media, so you look at, okay. Or you look at the progression of mass media. Mm-hmm. So the more technology develops and the more people are able to consume and the faster information travels, it's sort of like, they're sort of losing the grip. Mm-hmm. on the type of content that sort of you're forced to consume 
versus Correct. people being able to curate their own pieces of content and what they want. Like think about it back when television first came about, black people couldn't even play black people on TV. So it's literally, they were telling us and telling America what black people looked like and what black mm -hmm. people sounded like and how they talked and those stigmas like stick are clearly still present 100 100 years later Correct. and so to tie it into public relations um so when I first graduated left Mizzou came back to the city I was not trying to stick around in small city it was a city but town mm -hmm. to me. <laughs> but I came back to school and I got my first opportunity to work in media with Robin Beeman Robin Beeman um, mm -hmm. She owns Beeman Incorporated. And from there, I was able to really get a hold on um, like learning how to construct stories okay. and really seeing the intertwined light on how public relations ties directly into media Correct. because a subject or talent, if you have it, needs somebody who can make them sound cool, make them Correct. look a certain way and get Correct. them access to the media. The media needs people and needs content that's going to attract their audience. So they really, really work hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I really got my foot in the ground from that backdoor aspect of media and how it's created. And you, you, we're, talk, we're gonna talk about media this entire episode. I always wanted to know this because you're a professional, I wanted to ask you, is all press good press? Oh, that's a good question. I think it depends on your intention. Like, okay. do you want to be like, well, what's your goal? If you okay. just want to be relevant, then all press is great press. Okay. If you just want people to know your name and be familiar with your face or what you do, then okay, yeah. Like it could be you could put anything out. Yeah. Oh, that's that guy who did that thing who hurt so and so and look crazy. Oh, okay, yeah, mm -hmm. I know who that is. If that's your goal. But if your goal is to come off as somebody more pristine, somebody mm -hmm. more clean cut. I think that, like I said, with this evolution of media and the pace that people are consuming it and finding it and even creating it, um, if you, it's almost, once you reach a certain level, it's almost harder to keep that clean image. We it's have some hard. figures that, well, I always think of Jay-Z and Kanye and not necessarily to put them together, mm -hmm. but one has a more of a cerebral approach to what gets out, even though Jay-Z had the incident in the elevator, all three parties released some of their best work versus Kanye, who is a genius. He gets all, he, he had those couple of years where the paparazzi was just irritating him and he lost control a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I think you can have a more, chill approach to it like you're still a human at the end of the day so does that person does that content creator he hires people like you they hire people like you to somewhat control or guide that narrative well yeah that's the thing is you that's that would say that's the goal you want to be able to control your narrative okay as best you can and okay. sometimes when incidents has happened so you like the incident in the elevator mm -hmm. thank god there was no audio <laughs> Like true audio. So therefore you were able to get ahead of it because you know there was nothing else that could come of it beyond yes. just this visual you're seeing. Yes. So therefore you were literally able to control the narrative behind it and respond in whichever way you want or don't respond. But that's when you get to different 
if you're playing with the celebrities, if you're comparing yeah. Jay-Z to Kanye, Kanye yeah. has less of a filter. Correct. Like he right. will go on Twitter rants and say every single thought that comes to his head. Jay-Z mm-hmm. wouldn't. But yeah. then we also want to talk about um, conflict responses. So PR coming in. So mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah, that incident on the elevator looked bad, but they got ahead of it and they're still doing fine. They're, they're um, what is it? Their narrative is just fine. Correct. But then you brought up the incident with the CPD and how they killed that child. Mm-hmm. But weeks before to get ahead of it, they tried to like set up Soften. nice propaganda yeah. um, activities of the police officers doing good things in the community. Yeah. But did that does that does that outweigh the incident? Yeah. Not necessarily. So it's to each his own. So yeah. you ask the question: Is all press good press? All press will get you known. But it's just based on whether or not you want that type of recognition. That's true. What it is. That's true. I can go on and on about celebrities and how they have handled situations from the little mamas to the sweeties and Quavo. But I said all of that to say, and I loved your response. It sounded like you had training. Was that you being in an event coordinator, a content creator for Revolt? but you created this thing called the Maven Method. Was there a single moment that thought that made you create there? Or was it just, I want to take care of our people. I don't want our chief keeps of the world to be going to interviews on a breakfast club, given how old are you? I'm 300. Cool answer, because we get it. But for your brand, you need to say more. Yeah, if you want to reach a certain point. Um, so yes, I created the Maven Method Media Training for Artists and Talent. Um, and I would say I did have an aha moment. Okay. Can you <laughs> so, share it? Yeah, yeah. I won't okay. say no names, but yeah, I'll okay. share it. Okay. Um, but let's see. So I came out of school. I got this amazing internship with this amazing PR firm. And then six months later, I ended up getting this amazing opportunity to be the producer and writer for Revolt in Chicago. Yeah. So um given my like true insight and it was a small intimate PR firm so Mm -hmm. it was maybe at most five of us working on and running national campaigns which was a very 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 um sort of process okay it wasn't a okay Portia yeah just hit send on these emails and send it out it was like no Portia can you draft up this press release Mm -hmm. or let's bring Portia into these brainstorming sessions for different ideas of how we can position certain people or can you do the research and pull the names of these editors and research their stories and actually reach out to them and build up that relationship so I was able to gain such a unique and deep understanding of how PR works Mm -hmm. and why media needs publicists, why talent need publicists, and how the publicist really is that medium role between both parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I started working with Revolt, that's when I really, really got my, started to get my feet wet as far as conducting interviews and becoming the media. So mm. now I would literally be sitting at my internship, which eventually turned into sort of a full-time gig as the court PR coordinator. Yeah. Um, but I would have like both emails open. Like I would have my work email where I'm sending out pitches and pitching people. Then I have my other email where I'm receiving pitches mm-hmm. from other publicists for me to come out and cover their event or interview their artists or their client. 
So it was really interesting seeing both sides. So I might go out to certain events and now here I am media dealing with the publicist as far as like, okay, well, we're going to be backstage or here's the green room. Okay. Are you fine? And they're checking in on you. But then I would be dealing with some publicists who are just, sorry, terrible. Mm -hmm. This is not professional at all. Like for my PR gig, I know how you're supposed to treat media. Yeah. I know how critical that is. I know how much you need your client to look good. And so I was able to see both sides of them and how they clap. So that was a very interesting, like three years <laughs> of balancing both worlds, but I was able to get a hold of it. And to answer your question, the aha moment was, I knew I wanted to start my own web series. So I knew I wanted to start creating my own content yeah. and being like 100%, having 100% creative control around it. Controlling the narrative. Exactly. So I knew yeah. I wanted to do that, but then also looking at things from like looking towards, like to, towards the future, I also sort of knew like, okay, well, how lucrative is that going to be? Yeah. Is there going to be, is that going to cost me money? So yeah. for instance, if I go out to shoot, okay, I have to, get my makeup done, have my hair done, pay a cameraman, mm -hmm. pay someone to edit it and then post it. So it's just that I knew that down the line that would cost more money. So I'm thinking yeah. of, well, how can I make money off of media? How can I make, how can I actually build up a business and build up um, financial gain with media and something totally creative out the woodworks outside of just doing this or something outside of being boxed into like a certain specific role within me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was doing an interview with an artist mm -hmm. and this is years ago. Um, and this was my aha moment. They were going sort of on a tangent about their experience with fans who did not like them. So, so they were, those were fans then. Right. But they were sort of these like little hate groups against this artist. You could okay. say. Um, okay. Or I would say people who didn't approve of this person. Okay. So they would like harass him, um, put certain things out on the internet that were degrading to his brand and like very offensive things actually. But he chose to respond by saying some very, very degrading things, very offensive things, and even physically reenacting, displaying different things that would be highly offensive to multiple groups. And mm -hmm. potentially like you would lose fans Yeah. if we put this out. Um, so me being like having the morale that I do, <laughs> um, when we went to edit it, I just told them like, yeah, don't put that part in there. Yeah. That's not going to be... Yeah, like that's not a good look for him. I, like, I don't know why he would say that or do that on camera. When And then you would just back up exact everything that this group of people is saying about you. Yeah. So it was a very, very interesting look. But at that moment, I thought like, why don't you know this? You should know this. Mm -hmm. It was sort of the PR person. I mean, like, you should know not to say that or do that Correct. on camera Correct. you should you should know these things you know you should know that you're going to potentially offend somebody who does support you and does Absolutely. love you and is a fanatic about you and if you if we were to put if we wanted views we could have put that in there absolutely like so-and-so goes off on this and you could have been canceled essentially um so there was that moment followed by other moments with um various interviews of people who were just uncomfortable very shy 
um, didn't necessarily have their answers together, mm-hmm. didn't know have any type of etiquette. So during interviews, they're just on their phone, looking at their phone, tweeting, doing things, not paying attention, not engaged. Just and those interviews, yeah, those interviews just make it hard as an interviewer. Yeah. Like it makes it difficult. It makes it, well, I have to get this content and you're making it hard. I can't, I, I can't pull anything from these three word answers that you're giving me. This is my job and exactly. I have expectations. Mm-hmm. I have things that I have to take care of and you're, how are you Quiet. doing? Well, I'm, I'm fine. Okay. So how'd you get in music? I heard some beats. I loved it. And I could rap. And it's like, all right. But then on the other <laughs> yeah, note, exactly. on, on, on the other note, the other PR side of me was looking at certain situations as far as, okay, so if I'm a publicist, if I'm your publicist and I got you yeah. this interview, and it's my job to make you look good. Mm-hmm. It's my job to make sure you're killing these interview opportunities, make sure that your brand is growing, your audience is growing, and that that you're reaching people and turning them turning strangers into fans and then you come in and do that or you come in and act like this then that's also not a good look and it will make the pr publicist job even harder and make the firm look bad too yeah this is your client you're representing Mm -hmm. them and clearly they don't care about the opportunities that they've been given and your team your manager we've seen countless artists lose amazing endorsement deals yeah like it kicked off of several shows because yeah. of choices and decisions they made outside Our, of interviews but yeah. just artists were right at the precipice got commercials with double mint and just mcdonald's like those big deals nike correct. huge deals correct just blown yep because yep. either one you did something crazy and you mm-hmm. did not have the right response to it or yeah. you were in an interview and just said something terrible. Correct. And a lot and of this stuff can be translated to just social media, like just posting things, sharing, oversharing. <laughs> this is my page. Yes, but you have a responsibility with your page. Mm-hmm. Like, I love Summer Walker and I love that she has two Instagram pages. She has the Summer Walker page that's dedicated to the artist. And then she had, I think it's called Galactic Whore or something, where she posts whatever she wants. And you check her page out and you can let me know, like, oh, okay. I wouldn't have said that on my my main page. I got the backup. Now I can do what I want. Yeah, but just, but that's goes that's a perfect example of people not treating themselves necessarily as a brand and knowing that you're a brand. So yeah. she found a way to separate her brand from her personal correct being correct that's dope i don't want to gloss over your time at revolt because i've seen a bunch of the interviews that you did and you interviewed the late great john singleton um when they first introduced snowfall can you talk about your time at revolt and getting those interviews with some of the greats um yeah so so john singleton was with maven muse with um snowfall Oh, yeah. No, it's okay. It's okay. But, um, but still nonetheless, like revolt three, four years working and like being able to like have that brand or name Mm 
Mm-hmm. Like walking into different venues and getting access to different artists was amazing. Yeah. Um, so it, like it originally started off where we would sort of get an assignment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was literally me, shout out to Julian Ross and Emmanuel Camacho, Manny. Um, so it was the three of us and we would just run around the city grabbing content and it started off originally where we would get an assignment um from new york that would just be okay hey we've got someone's having a show this day you're already in just show up do the interview and send us the footage back um but eventually or as we built continue to work together and continue to build up a rapport within the city and within the industry it changed to where i could create a calendar i'll know what shows are coming up i'll send it to you which one do you want and the mm-hmm. PR in me would just, or the hustle would be in me would just be like, okay, we would show, like, as long as I was able to get in the venue, like, if we yeah. could get in the door yeah. um, and not even have access to the artists, but just call, I, I knew people at the venues, like, call them up. As long as we could get in the door, just tell the um, Manny um, or Julian, whoever, whichever one was shooting, like, okay, yeah. get the B-roll, I'll call you when we're backstage. And that is literally how it worked. You just learned how to work a room or learned mm-hmm. how to get in the room or learned how to see who's who without talking to anybody. Like, okay, who's the person actually making the calls here? Yeah. Who's the person I need to speak with? Yeah. And you get with them. I'm a people person. Most of them are people people. And they would love to get the interview. But we were able to do that. We were able to finesse heavily. (laughs) And then some things were a shoe in. But yeah, yeah, we were able to get some interviews with, like you said, some very iconic people. one of the most interesting was most deaf. Um, yeah, he eventually he originally said no. Okay. But we were out in the hallway. We still had our cameras up. We had put the mic and everything up. And he's walking out in, in a doorway. Like we're standing in a doorway. He's walking past us. Mm-hmm. And said to him, like, yo, so you sure you don't want to do this interview? He's all right, what's up? What you want to know? And we did an interview in a doorway. So like that was wow. interesting. Um, wow. But yeah, all sorts of legends i'm trying you to did a you did an east side legend you got an interview with bump j yes yes and that I'm was like, when he first got released <laughs> i'm like that man don't talk to nobody and Portia got an interview with him <laughs> oh yeah it was it was that was actually fun it was his he just got released mm-hmm. and they were throwing a celebration for him but then also shooting a music video but it was an all white party mm-hmm. so we had to show up in all white and yeah we got the interview we got the interview with him another let lo- hometown legend Correct. Correct. Yeah, but everyone from Barbershop 3, when they mm-hmm. did their tour media run, that was a finesse. Ooh, that was a strong finesse, but we got yeah. in there so that we got to interview that entire cast. Um, yeah, just a variety of people, not to mention all the festivals, so music yeah. festivals, which were like marathons. Um, you got Lala, Pitchfork, Riot Festival. Um, there's another one I'm thinking of, but yeah, we were... Out, out here, here. Right. <laughs> out here, finding content and creating stories. You were talking about brands and controlling the narrative. Um, how important is your name? Oh, your name is everything. Okay. okay. I don't know if it went through, but your name is everything. Okay. Literally. I mean, it's your brand. It's your forefront. It's what people know before they know you. Mm-hmm. So when you, mm-hmm. I know when you first started, you used Miss King briefly, 
mm-hmm. but and but you changed it to Porsche King. Mm-hmm. I know that sometimes we all can't be titty boy and turn into two chains. Mm-hmm. And I know that Terrence J, he told a story that his real name is Terrence Jenkins, but because of that perception of Jenkins, oh, that's a black last name. So that may prevent him from getting into certain venues. He went by Terrence J. Can you speak to why you wanted to change the name to Portia King and what, why is it like that, that Terrence Jenkins can't use Terrence, Terrence J sound good, sounds good, but why would a person do that? I mean, well, that reminds me of also um, Jamie Foxx. It's not his real name. Whoopi Goldberg. I didn't know that would be, didn't know that. Yeah. But he said, but Jamie Foxx said he used, changed his name to Jamie, which is um, um, neutral because they usually, if they thought it was a woman, they usually would put him ahead of other co- uh, com- uh, comedian, comedians yeah. Yeah. just so he can make people get the harder laughs and then everybody yeah. else kind of looks bad. But um, for me, Miss King. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> I said that was strategic. Yeah. Yeah, strategy. But when I came out, I was playing with, I thought my name was like, okay, Portia King, that's unique. But let's go with Miss King. That's kind of like it's it, it like like it's feminine for the Miss, but then King is like masculine. Mm-hmm. So it's regal. Miss, yeah. yeah. So like Miss yeah. King. Yeah. And I spelled it M I S S. Um, like I said, when I started getting into the mindset of like, okay, let me make this something. Let me make a career out of this. Um, so like when I was with Color Me TV, shout out mm-hmm. to see it. Uh, mm-hmm. Miss King was the name. My first real Miss King was the name. And then when I started really thinking about like, okay, I, I want to do media training. Okay. But I need to build up my um, one, make identify a solid brand. Okay. Two, build up credibility. So that's where Maven Muse came from. Mm-hmm. So yeah, people knew Revolt, but like my face wasn't necessarily on it. My na- name was on the articles and my name was on the credit, but yeah. like, they didn't know my face or who I was. So that needed to contribute to the brand. And then also showcase that I can create content on my own. So I, like, I know this, I know how to do this. So that lead, led into the credibility for the Maven Method media training sessions. And when I started thinking about other names, I was like, well, Miss King, Throughout the time that I was using that name, um, I would often see people message me or people um, refer to me as Miss, so like MS, period. Mm-hmm. King. Mm-hmm. Um, some people would Mrs. And mm-hmm. then you have like the Ms. MZ King, or all these different types of ways people were referencing yeah. the name. Yeah. And then I Googled, did a quick Google search. Um, and I was also looking to purchase my domain for my website. Yeah. Um, I did a quick Google search. So I typed in Miss King, the way I spell it. And yeah, like some porn stars popped up. Oh. Uh, it was a variety of. And you said that was Miss King? You searched? Yeah, you Miss searched? King. Okay. There, were, there was a variety of people popping up under this alias. Yeah. So then I Googled my name and I popped up. My interviews popped up. My yeah. photos showed yeah. up even yeah. all, like like from college different things that i'd done and published showed yeah. up in that google search and then yeah. also portiaking.com was available so if anybody's gonna own that it should be me it should be me so absolutely that's how i decided to transition to actually using my actual name and then also it's unique a lot of people don't spell their name the way i do yeah let alone with the last name king so correct 
That's how you got Portia King Media from Miss King 21. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like an old email address when you used to use Hotmail. I made it when I was 21. Yeah, that's that's when I got my Instagram account. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Now that I think about it. Okay. But you, so with like Terrence J, was, do you think that that was helpful for him? If people really knew that, so I don't know how widely known that is, but do you think that, like Jamie Foxx, I get that, but Terrence J, if he would have went by Terrence Jenkins, would he be where he is now, at the level that he is now? I think he would, just based off of his talent alone. Okay. Um, I think Terrence J adds a bit more clarity. Okay. There's probably a bunch of Jenkins. Like, if I'm looking at his brand, probably yeah. a ton of people named Jenkins. Yeah. Um, but it sort of just defines him as like just Terrence J. And then it also adds a bit of a distance between him and his government. Okay. Like, so like for me, I'm Porsche King. That's it. You know. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Like, you know, my whole, you know, my whole shebang. But with him, it's just Terrence J. And yeah. the J can stand for any Jacobs. It could stand for Julio. I don't know. I don't know. Julio, Terrence Julio. Yeah. (laughs) Julio, Julio. But it can stand for anything. So Mm -hmm. I think that him making it just shortened and hyphenated um, was more catchy, probably. Um, And then also, unless he was looking at it from this perspective of, we know Jenkins to be a Black name. And maybe he didn't, unless he didn't want to be labeled and or prejudged to just be correct a certain type of way based on stereotypes that have already mm. been presented so mm. unless that was it but i like to say it, it, it fits it works if it, it almost makes me wonder could i have been Portia k i don't know <laughs> i mean we can miss king Portia king Por- that's the natural progression right? see, but, but see but Portia k would have been too much of a jump from miss king to Portia k okay we all can't be diddy and have Five different names. Not at all. Um, Well, well, speaking of brands, you definitely don't just stay in the box. Mm -hmm. You've been shown, you were a guest on The Jam. You've appeared on multiple panel discussions. You had a podcast, which is a great name. And I wish I would have came up with it. uh, For Miles House Radio, you had a podcast called Three Piece. Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) That means something. Were you... Were you just trying to get your feet wet in these different mediums or was there one be like, all right, at the end of the day, I can see myself in front of the camera speaking, being on the news or being like a a Brittany, what is it, Walter Payton, Brittany Payton um, doing the stuff with WGN. Where do you see, like you were trying to find something, did you find it? I wouldn't say I'm necessarily trying to find anything. Okay. I just want to experience everything. Okay. So like I said, one of my main things, even back to school, was like, what do you want to do specifically? And okay. I feel like a lot of times um, people say, well, you know, you, if you're, what's the saying? If you are a something of many, you're a master of none. A jack of trade, you will be a master of none. Yeah, jack of trade, you're a master of none. Yeah. So for me, I just couldn't necessarily put myself wholeheartedly into one specific box of anything okay um so i was always open to just like okay well yeah i'm gonna do radio um let's see i'm gonna get my feet with pr Mm -hmm. um then i'm gonna do some producing 
and I'm going to write a little bit, but then I'm also going to be a host. And then I'm also going to be a moderator, but then I also want to do all these different things. So I never really found one true love outside of the realm of media. It's so massive. And may I say, you've done well. I don't think that saying applies to you because when you hear the feedback from these panel discussions, when you listen to the podcast, when you see your interviews, when you saw that, when you appeared on the jam, you looked comfortable. And it feels like you're one of those special people that you put them in any situation and they can shine and make the most out of it. And that's going to lead me to confidence. Mm -hmm. You told me when I first started that you have to have confidence. Do, Do you attribute that your confidence into why you are successful and why you can go into these different arenas and be successful? Yeah, but I think that confidence is the epitome of being comfortable with yourself. Okay. So I think that in order to be confident in any way, you have to be comfortable first, like comfortable and firm in who you are. So for me, um, I was, I also did theater growing up, um, but I was on the improv team. Everything, everything. (laughs) Yeah, but I was on the Mizzou MU improv team in college. And one of the one of the biggest lessons in that was just say yes. So it was like in improv, as soon as you step on set stage, almost if somebody labels you as a character, you're gonna be that. Yeah. So it was just it's ownership, like just owning everything you are in that moment and going with it. So being comfortable is about being flexible. Yeah. Like just not being so stern and caught up in the way things are supposed to be or the way things are supposed to go. So mm-hmm. whether I'm hosting a live event, whether I'm hosting a concert on a panel, moderating something or doing a television appearance, it's just finding comfortability in being yourself and just hoping that everything goes well and wishing for the best. Yes. And that confidence shows in one of your favorite of uh, Maya Angelou quotes. Mm-hmm. Success is liking yourself, liking what you do and liking how you do it. You said, I promise no one does media training like me. Right. Right. Nobody. Right. No one. And it shows I've been in one of your training seminar training classes. And you you're hitting things. You're like, wow, you gotta do it like this and sit up and talk about the etiquette, stuff that you feel that these artists should know or someone on their team should tell them but they don't. So I feel like what you're doing is super important, but you you. also, when you're not doing media training, you've left a positive footprint in your community. Last year in 2020, we had a lot of rioting. We had a lot of more police brutality, but on social media, you kept you kept, you were focused on being a what do I want to say? Serving your community. You were on advocate. Let's give it being, being an advocate, being an advocate. Um, can you speak to the importance of that and what that meant to you? Um, yes. So the main thing with the, when the rioting and the looting happened, um, the main thing was just the aftermath of it. Um, and looking at 
places that were once food deserts or were never food deserts after a certain certain point were. Mm -hmm. So if you were somebody who lived on 83rd and Cottage Grove, or if you lived on 76th and Langley, Mm -hmm. you relied on various locations and various grocery stores or drug stores to get your essential items yeah um such as like milk toiletries bread all of these things and um it's just the aftermath of everything um it sort of wiped out the necessary or it wiped out the access that certain people had who relied on public transportation or relied on those very local neighborhood shops yes so Romello, um, he had posted that he was going to be passing out free food and free lunches over on in South Shore on maybe like 71st and Jeffrey, right off of Jeffrey. Yep. So I saw, thought that was an amazing idea. I thought it was amazing, an amazing idea. So like, um, I think the first day after the looting everything and everything, we went out and cleaned up. But that's when you really saw like, being on the ground and being able to really see the true impact of the longevity of the situation that we were going to be dealing with within our local mm-hmm. communities was people mm-hmm. not having access to these essential things. So Romello's idea and his connection to passing out free food, mm-hmm. um, I can't think of the name of the organization he partnered with who was providing the free meals, but shout out to them. Yeah. Um, so the first day I went over to South Shore and Romello, we talked that night um, at like 8 p.m. And I said, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Whatever organization you have, because they're the one, they're delivering pre-made sandwiches, water bottles, chips, fruit, all types of stuff. They're delivering these things and just dropping them off in crates. Yeah. I said, well, we, if it's possible, let's hit more communities. Like South Shore wasn't the only community hit, the only community Correct. in need. Correct. So he made some calls and put me in touch with uh, my homie Heavy at the Trap House, who just recently opened on 79th and Cottage. Mm-hmm. Um, so we set up shop there and we just start like set up like two days a week, passing out free meals and it grew like social media spread like wildfire, multiple organizations started coming and pouring in and just dropping off utensils of volunteers showing up out of the woodworks, people just pulling up, stopping traffic to yeah. drop off 20 cases of water yeah. types of community love and support. We were passing right. out gallons of milk, yeah. like, very, like things that would like, probably expi- like would definitely expire we had diapers wipes feminine products it was mm-hmm. amazing so that was a really 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 um amazing thing to have been able to be a part of and witness and you also before Lori did it you were on 75th street at those black on championing those black owned restaurants all up and down 75th street mm-hmm. and i grew up over there it's definitely changing and it's beautiful just seeing all these black businesses flourishing. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to your love of 79th and just being an advocate for these black owned restaurants? Yes. So I love the South side. I'm a South side baby. And I think it's just such a beauty. It's it's something beautiful that really happens Mm -hmm. when you get to experience the good and so I hosted a Mary Maven holiday for the first time this year. And shout out to my friend, Andrea. She's the one who put the idea in my head. Like you should do a holiday thing or Mary Maven holiday. It just sounds cute. It does. So, 
I hosted a week of activities and one of them was dedicated to supporting black business. So I put out a list of all of my favorite businesses. It took up like 10 slides on Instagram. So highlighted various clothing companies, food, um, hair, makeup, beauty, even publicity and media outlets and writers. So just different ways that you can support black owned companies and businesses, but also on that day in particular, I posted up and set up shop at Brown Sugar Bakery on 75th Street. Love them. Can't Love eat them. every day, but I would if I could. Mm -hmm. um, and I was giving away free cupcakes to anybody who showed up. That stuff is needed. Yes. That stuff is very needed. And that's, thank you. Because that, that stuff is just, it's refreshing to hear the, our generation, we, they paint us as something but we're really not. You have we have people like you that are actually putting feet to pavement, making a change in the communities that they grew up in. But you also are planting seeds as well. You're an instructor for True Star Foundation. Yes, yes. I just started working with them almost at the top of the pandemic. Okay. Um, I believe last January I began working with them. So yeah, I am an instructor for their super team and their marketing team. Okay, so what's a, a regular, what's a typical day for you there? Um, let's see, so like right now, um, so let's see, so for the, for the super team, which is a collective of Chicago's finest high schoolers and young adults who really, really are interested in media and okay. interested in creating content or marketing or doing some type of creative concept. Um, so once a week, we host pitch meetings. So the students right now are responsible for creating a majority of the content that you see on their Instagram page. So we'll host pitch meetings every Monday where I guess I'm kind of like the lead on it. And we have a couple other instructors. So like Miss Marty or Henry who join in and the students pitch ideas for the week. And what I think is that it really reinforces people or just students to like get outside of their personal world. So just step outside of their realm of what's happening and come up with cool ideas that are relatable to other people or bringing certain instances to light that you won't get off watching Real Housewives or you won't get off of just strolling on social media, not strolling on social media, but like from different shoe blogs, like yeah. highlighting different things in the community that actually matter or that are talkative like yeah we have fun we, we create fun content too but the key okay. is to just be aware and wow now that I'm thinking about this and I'm talking it through I think this is really like hones into when I first got back from Ghana when I was uh, went there for two weeks it was just in the mm -hmm. middle of the school year this wasn't over any vacation or break I, I was gone like the first two weeks or no the last two weeks in October into November just for mm -hmm. two weeks gone so when I came back I was very quiet in okay. a way. I just remember being in class, just, I don't even know how to put it, just very to myself because everything that people were talking about around me just didn't feel relevant. Mm. Like being at lunch, um, sitting in class. Okay, so we're learning about Pythagorean theorem. Okay. Okay, the flavor of love finale mm -hmm. just happened. Okay, these new mics just came out. All right, none of this stuff matters. 
So I think that when you live and when you, especially when you're young, when you live in this bubble of only caring and consuming about what's popular, you almost, it's kind of hard to decipher what really matters. So one thing, I guess that's what, with True Start, with these pitch meetings is like, you can't rely on the media in a way to give you everything you need to know. So you have to create what you want people to know. So yeah, that's a typical day. And then editing content when it comes in. Yeah, right. Um, That's needed. And that is something that I, I'm happy to hear because you said your parents put you in these different sports programs and had you just being active and outside that opens your eyes and exposes you to different things. When, when we were younger, they had more programs like that. They were free. You could drop your kid off in the summer and we would learn about this, learn about archery, learn about watercolor painting, be in Hyde park doing activities. And the fact that it's still, it's a couple, those programs are starting to come back. And they're ran by Black people, Black women from the neighborhoods. That means so much. And what does, I I'm, I feel some kind of way about using this term, but you're not an influencer. You're more so an impactor. Like you're making a positive change in the community with what you're doing and with your brand as a whole. So what, I know you say you don't like the box to be put in a box, but what is the goal? What is the finish line? Ooh, what is the finish line? Um, hmm. The finish line. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to have to take a second with this one. Well, I'll ask you another question. I know that, uh, why are you thinking about that one? I know that the pandemic hit everybody and I know you had chance, you had, you were thinking about expanding, Mm -hmm. but then the pandemic happened. Now we're at a time where, where restrictions are getting looser. Are you going to follow up with those plans that were derailed last year? Absolutely. Okay. Um, So with the pandemic, so last year, my goal was for 2020 to expand with the Maven method and to reach new markets. And Atlanta was first and is first on my list outside of Chicago. So now that you said restrictions are lifting, people are getting vaccinated and they're becoming much more comfortable with being around other people mm-hmm. or feeling more safe with that. I am planning to host my first session of the Maven method in Atlanta. Hopefully this summer, the summer is my goal, but to host at least one session in person with, and hopefully just get in touch with some amazing people who work with and have reached to reach some amazing artists and talent. So actors, athletes who could really just use a spruce up on their branding and Mm -hmm. media makeup. Yeah. Yeah. It's just being in that training class you that stuff follows you like being on time being punctual being attentive learning knowing that this is an opportunity now not only am i doing a job but you're doing a job 
learning the rules, FDC. I believe I said that right. FCC. FCC. Mm, FCC <laughs> and what they do and how Cardi and Meg performing WAP on the Grammys gave them a nightmare. But yeah. but it, it is what it is. And I'm glad that you decided to create this path and you're you're staying on it and it's needed. People need trainers like you, people need coaches like you to control to somewhat control their narrative. Um because if you don't control your narrative, then someone else will. Absolutely. And I'd rather Portia King, Portia K <laughs> control the narrative <laughs> for you. Um was there anything else that you needed to share or did you did you think of the answer for um, that question? Well I would say my end goal right now, well my end goal for end goal for everything is to just end up happy. And whatever happiness looks like okay. while also having residual income and not being required <laughs> to work. But my end goal would be to really help people, really okay. help talent build and elevate their brands beyond what it what they're currently settling for. Okay. Or building and being able to expand on outside of their comfort zones. Like, okay, yes, you can go and do interviews with audiences and markets who specifically reach your demographic, or you could grow yeah, and reach new yeah. people and yeah. tell your story without, I don't know, the blog's doing it. Yeah, Tell your story outside of just what you post on social media and be able to tell it, like, like make it a good story. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Portia, I enjoyed this conversation. Um, I'm glad we were able to have you think about the past and how that somewhat shaped you into the woman that you are today. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the community. Um, I love your shirt. Oh, I, I can't, I can't, I have to acknowledge your shirt. Yes, absolutely. Murder must stop. Absolutely. Shout out to uh, Trap House. Portia, yes. thank you for sharing those stories. That's been another episode of Homegrown, the series. I'm your host, Emmanuel Davis. Thanks for watching. Peace.